Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste, or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products, because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger, fresh for everyone. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. The Skinny with Rico and Ken is a production of iHeartRadio. This segment of The Skinny is brought to you by Toyota. It's a mournful day in the motorsports industry, but with that said, we have to talk about Bobby Unser in a bright light. He was a man that was full of energy, a charismatic competitor, When he came to the racetrack, there's no question he was one of the most talented drivers of all time. But what he really did was light up a room. His personality was absolutely second to none. And for the next few minutes, we're going to spend some time listening to some stories about Bobby, with Bobby, Uncle Bobby, and Bobby Gold. Joining me as always, Rico Elmore, uh, sitting alongside close personal friend with Uncle Bobby, and we couldn't be prouder to have Bones in here with us as well. Talk about a historian of the sport and another guy that uh, that is so familiar with Uncle Bobby. Of course, we're talking referring to Bobby Unser and all of his stories, his races, his career along the way. Thanks for making the time, Bones. Good to be here. Wish it was for a different reason, but uh, it's always good to talk about Bobby. You know, it's it's one of those things, you know, they, none of us are going to get out of this deal alive. And at 87 years old, man, he had a hell of a run. Yeah, he was, uh, you know, he was he was wide open. I mean, it was it was funny. I was talking to Robin Miller and we were we were joking. And I said, yeah, he uh, Uncle Bobby doesn't realize there's time zones because he'll call you at nine or ten o'clock at night and you will talk to him at nine <laughs> or ten o'clock at night. And uh, you'll talk to him exactly how long he wants to talk to you because that's when the conversation will be over. Because if you're like, I got to go. Well, hang on a minute, I got one more thing. You know, it just so I uh, 
I will miss those phone calls. I have been, uh, you know, since the whole COVID deal went, you know, started going on, I was going through Albuquerque and I, I reached out, you know, and, uh, wanted to, uh, wanted to see how he was and, and, uh, and, you know, I, listen, the things that that cat's went through or went through in his life, man, if I make it to 87, I think I'm doing some pretty big stuff right there. So it's pretty wild. I had a chance to, uh, of course, when this happens, you go back and you start digging up some of the old stories. Yeah. And, and I found, uh, I found where Robin Miller held that roast for him uh. and, some of the biggest names. I mean, Johnny Rutherford, Penske on yeah. there, Parnelli Jones yeah. on there, yeah. and I mean, just the the Rick Mears. I mean, the biggest names in our industry, and they're all bashing, you know, on on Bobby. And Bobby just sitting there eating it up, laughing, and he finally got a chance to speak, and he said, "Well, I'm pretty sure that almost none of this stuff is true." So, <laughs> yeah, right, right, right off the bat, he said, "Although there's probably some that's pretty true, we know that." But he is such a character, and he actually got uh, Roger to swear twice during <laughs> when, during Roger's portion of roasting. Oh wow! You know, I mean, Penske's always so. Uh, calm and collected and all that controlled for, for him right? to yeah. swear twice it, it took an answer to get that out of him you know it was, <laughs> that was a wonderful night yeah. i know you have some great stories anything come to mind about about bobby i just you know i mean all of us know people in this sport who have achieved a lot of uh, things you know we know people who have won the indy 500 we know people who have drivers who have great natural speed we know guys uh, who are so technically astute that they can make a team better uh, and we know drivers who are hilariously funny. But Bobby's the only guy I can think of that achieved as much as he did uh, and yet was just a, a nonstop laugh factory. You know what I mean? He's like your, like your crazy next-door neighbor if your crazy next-door neighbor won the Indy 500 three times. You know, just <laughs> a, I think one of the neatest guys I've ever met. Um, That's probably a great way to describe him. Yeah. He, he, is he like really a, was a guy next door. He was a guy next door that had ridiculous talent yeah. and endless energy. I'll never forget uh, um, the guess who, and we were trying to guess who the people were still in it that we knew, but we couldn't guess that either. But anyhow, they were playing at the SVRA deal one year, and I think it's the year that Bobby drove. So, I mean, it was probably like three or four years ago. I think probably four years ago now. But anyhow, Bobby drove in it, you know, and hell, he was in his 80s then yeah. doing it. And uh, anyhow, I'm sitting out there on the golf cart, and he walks over to somebody. I have no idea who it was. He says, you get him in here. He's parking in here by me because Bobby's in there yeah. on his golf cart, sat there watching the show. And He's the like, mayor. I was like, yeah, we're with him. Yeah. You know, this <laughs> full It's like no questions asked. So it was uh, – it was uh, – it was pretty wild. I mean, the first time I ever met him was 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 several years ago, and and uh, Big Red, God God rest her soul as well. Um, you know, she was over bartending at uh, at one of the suites in turn two. Bobby's there and doesn't have any sunglasses. Well, I fixed that, and uh, the picture that the picture of of us together uh, was was from that. Uh, was from that day. Beautiful. So it was uh and man he was on it. Yeah. He was wide open that day. He was he was on on a run. I mean right to the very end he was at the Chili Bowl. You yeah. know, I mean this guy yeah. he had a passion for racing that never died. And he was at the Chili Bowl almost every year. You know, it became kind of a can't miss deal <laughs> for him. 
and he knew those people. You know, he'd go around and talk to everybody every year, Sammy Swindell or whoever. And uh, he was just sort of a citizen of the racing world. You know, he knew people at every different level. Um, Robin Miller and some other people joke about him being, you know, the mayor of Albuquerque. But Bobby was kind of the mayor of wherever he was at a given moment. You know, (laughs) if he was in here, he'd be the mayor. Oh, yeah. Uh, At the Speedway, in the suites, in the press room, uh, on Pitt Road. Anywhere he was, he had a way of just uh, pulling the conversation toward him. Uh, and the, the conversation was never dull, and you never heard the, the story the same way twice. Nope. You know, he was just a, uh, he lived it. You know, I mean, he really did live it right to the end. And it's, uh, you know, you're sad to see him gone, but this is one of those deals where people talk about celebrating a life. And I think after everybody gets over the initial uh, sadness of, of losing him, that's a life to be celebrated right there. I mean, he was he was the Duke, you know. He yeah, was just and, a you man. Know, and you know, he... Uh, one one evening, again, when he had forgotten what time zones were, but <laughs> one evening he called me and we got into the conversation about Roger buying the Speedway. And uh, he, he, was, he was elated. Yeah. He was absolutely elated. And he goes, he goes, the only thing I can tell you is we need to get my brother back there. Mm-hmm. Big Al needs to come back because you know what? Us guys coming back there, and that meant something to him. Yeah coming back to the speedway and being a part of that because he's part of what built that. And, you know, he would talk about his brother and, you know, I really hope Al comes back and, and, you know, and embraces this Roger needs all of us in this and we need to build this thing better than ever. And told me about when he was trying to buy the mouse house from Mary. Yeah. The mouse house is right. I mean, no longer. Right. Which by the way, that was gone in one day, which was pretty surprising. I was like, Oh, there it is. I drive by the next day. There's like, it's like, hold on a minute. I, I thought that was there yesterday, you know. But anyhow, I don't. I can't remember exactly the story. But Mary was upset about something. He goes, you know, I almost got that house bought from her. I mean, it's right. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's landlocked. But that right. would be Bobby. Have a house right at the speedway, he so really everybody not. can come to see Bobby answer. You know, he was so. Uh, he loved talking to people, uh, and it didn't matter if 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 it was media people. Uh, other racers, fans, you know, he, he, he was a, a natural born, uh, entertainer, I think, you know, in, in his own way. I mean, it was all, it was unscripted, a lot of times unfiltered, uncensored, Very. but Very. Uh, Bobby was the best. And that's what I said, you know, at the top of the show, as good as he was a race car driver, it was his charisma. It was his personality, the way he lights up a room or lit up a room when he was in there, it was it was all about Bobby, and, oh, yeah. and just because of his energy. He just brought big energy. And nobody else tried to get in the middle of it because no. they were trying to listen to what he was talking about. It's Bobby about. Unser. I mean, it's, no. it's like E.F. Hutton. When, when Bobby speaks, people listen, right? And if anybody else did talk, at the end, what they had to worry about was that at the end of their story, he'd correct them. <laughs> now, son, you know, that's not exactly how it was. And according you know. to Paul Page, that was exactly what he did on the broadcast. Right? Oh, <laughs> Sam Posey would tell, would say something, and he would say, "Well, Sam, you're you're incorrect on that." Yeah. He said, and then he would tell a complete story, and he'd come back full circle, and then say the same exact thing yeah. that Posey said. But, but Sam, then it was his idea, so it was all good. He'd say, "Sam, you're just flat wrong." <laughs> and I mean, you know, Sam was an accomplished guy. Uh, but, you know, Sam was smart enough to know that 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 added something to the broadcast. You know, you got to let Bobby be Bobby. 
You can't right. try to make him into Sam, and you couldn't make Sam Bobby either. You know, that, that, that was a great team. Page feeling like he was watching a, a tennis game, standing yeah. in between the two of them, eyes back and forth, like, stand back enough, and you know they they were getting ready to go at it. You know, yeah. and the story, and I don't think it's on here about uh, when he got placed on the turn two <laughs> suites. That's not on here, right? So, you know, speaking of his broadcast days, you know. He said that this fellow from New York that didn't have any clue what was going on at that track thought he was going to fix old Uncle Bobby. He goes, well, he had another thing coming is what he had. And I said, oh, okay. I said, what, what's going on? He goes, he goes well, he goes, uh, they thought they would go ahead and put me in a suit and tie setting on top of the turn two suites in uh, 90 to 100 degree weather and thought they'd just go ahead and roast me up there. And he goes, but... Uh, he goes, they they had started the race, and he said they had the tower boom, you know, the camera, and it was panning around. And he said that same fellow that put him over there, because of him fighting with Sam and right. raising hell in the booth all the time, <laughs> they thought, we're putting him over there where we can just click him off, you know what I mean, if he starts rolling. The camera's rolling around, and it goes past the turn two suites, and the guy says, hey, go back to that. So he goes back to it. There's these nice tents up there now. There's girls serving drinks and food and all this and that. And the guy comes across the radio and says, what the hell do you think you're doing? He said, son, I've been here a long time. I got friends. <laughs> and, Jug, and Jug Eckert had set this whole yeah. thing up, drinks, tents, yeah. fans. I mean, up. everybody's told various versions of that story, but... He, Bobby didn't necessarily know what he wanted to eat an hour from now, so you had to bring him a bunch of different things. You know? yeah, I might want chicken. I might not want chicken. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we've, uh, we've kicked things off here. Everybody's already laughing, a smile on their face. And, of course, I mean, that's exactly what Bobby brought to the room, of course. So we're going to get to our first story here. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, we'll have a lot of Bobby Unser gold here. So let's kick the first one off on 50 Years at Indianapolis. He calls me one morning, and I thought, that's a little strange. You know, it means he wants something. <laughs> Normally like me. Right. And, and so he says, I want you to do the parade. I says, man, Doug, I, said, I don't do those parades. I did them for years, you know. It's, it's enough, you know. I mean, I don't particularly like the parades, I guess. So he says, Bobby, he says, do you realize you've been here? This is your 50th year since you won your first race here. Well, there I am really quick, taking my pen out. I'm on my desk. I'm adding and subtracting because I can't do it in my head like you can. <laughs> Rico can do that. Some people can't. I can't. So I'm there. I said, man, it's really been 50 years. How could it be 50 years? And so I said... Doug, number one, if you really want it done, I'll always do it for you. That's good. I mean, that's your standard. Number two, 50 years? I says, I didn't think I'd been, been there that long. I mean, 50 years is a long time. It's a long time. So, and I didn't believe it until I figured it out <laughs> on my paper there, you know. And I'm telling you, we got more happy people in the parade. I mean... Talk about a turn on. My wife is there, and I brought my two daughters back this year. Awesome. They were up there shaking around on the thing and waving at the people. And, and I mean, the thing ends up being fun. Yeah. Not like the old deals, old days, because Mario and I used to go. 
and and get in the back of the convertibles. Yep. Like now we yep. got yep. orange ones this yep. year. That's what we used. This way it was really fun because yep. we had a whole float, had the people on both sides, and they were really, I mean, I had a lot of fans out there. I love it. He's giving me all kinds of credit about how, what a mathematician I am or something, but uh <laughs> You know, and he was good at that. He was good at making you feel good too, which was a special thing about him. But you know, he's sitting there, and he's he's uh, he, he 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 takes it on and says, "Yeah, you know what? If you want me to do it, I'll do it." And that's that was that was him. And I mean, I uh, you know, on his birthday, I text I text Lisa and I said, "Hey, you know, really miss you guys and." Uh, and uh, can't wait to see you guys soon. And I, I listen, I kind of just uh, talking to a few people, you know, the same people. And and I, I kind of knew that it probably wasn't that great where, you know, where he was at right right then and there. And uh, But uh, she texts me back. She goes, it means a lot. Bobby smiled. Yeah. And, I mean, it, yeah. pretty, pretty tough deal. So One thing about the parade. Number one, I have a hard time believing that Bobby didn't want to be in front right. of people. Right, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because he really he loved being Bobby Unser, and I don't mean that in a bad no, way. You know, he right. knew he knew what he meant to people. You know, it was a bigger deal to have that parade with him than without him. And I'm sure that he's dead honest when he's when he says, you know, uh, it was fun seeing the people and waving and all that. I mean, he he ate up, you know, the idea of being an Indy 500 winner. Yeah. Uh, he loved being Bobby Unser. Uh, like, I, like I said about being the mayor, I'm sure he was the mayor of that moment in the parade. You know, oh, yeah. Kissing that's, babies and waving. Whoever the, whoever the mayor or governor was had nothing on no. him. Oh, no. <laughs> Zero. I mean, this guy was more like than any uh, any of that going on. But You know, and, and I, you know, I mean, arguably as big a name as Mario Andretti. You know, I mean, everybody, a uh, household name. Uh, now the Unsers have since fallen out of the limelight for a number of years now, so maybe not so much anymore but when you take a look at what the Unser family has done i mean oh my god mm, you wild. know pike's peak um Unser's peak you know for all the success they they had there it was kind of dubbed Unser's peak and then if i'm not mistaken you'll know bones i believe they the family has won the 509 times yeah and bobby when you think about it he he last drove a race car here at the speedway 1981 i mean that's a long time ago uh to carry the degree of fame and popularity, uh, recognizability, credibility. You know, he could go into any garage in Gasoline Alley, and the drivers not only knew who he was, of course you'd expect them to know who he was, but they all respected him. You know, he, he knew enough about what cars were doing today. He could talk shop with a current driver or an old driver. I mean, he was... He's a self-taught engineer. Oh, he really <laughs> Ask him. <laughs> Robin Bellary, yeah. of course, brings that up in yeah. the show. <laughs> but he, uh, you know, he was just such a big part of the fiber of, of the Speedway. And I think that personality he had in retirement, you know, you, you take a guy like Mario. I mean, Mario, I think, learned during his F1 years that he was sort of expected to be a diplomat for American racing. Uh, an ambassador. Uh, Johnny Rutherford's the same way, you know, for, uh, within this country. I mean, he's a, as good an ambassador to, for racing as you could ever have. Foyt, you know, AJ's a little cranky anyway, but the biggest thing is I think he's been in pain, you know, for the last 50 years. He's yeah, been hurt enough. Right. That, you know, so it's harder to get a sustained laugh out of AJ. But Bobby was always happy to be Bobby. So he yeah. did, like that quirky personality I mean, there, there's no one like him. And, I mean, all those guys are unique in their own way. But 
he told me the story mm-hmm. of when uh, Ronald Reagan invited him to the White House. Yeah. Him, Big Al, Little Al, and Little Al's girlfriend at the time, okay? So they stay at some hotel, and this is Bobby telling the story, of course, which right. is nothing short of awesome. He says, oh, yeah, he goes, uh, he goes, we uh, we get ready, and, you know, we'd stayed the night, and the next day we're getting ready, and we're going to dinner at the White House. And he says, uh, he says, little Al comes out with his, uh, with his girlfriend, and we're all in tuxedos. She's in a beautiful dress, and he says, uh, now, you didn't say anything about our president or anything in that room, did you, last night? Little Al's like, well, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. You know, he's like, no, no, I wouldn't. What do you mean? He goes, and you guys weren't messing around last night, were you? Because they bug these rooms <laughs> and they want to make sure that the people they're inviting. So, of course, Bobby and Big Al have Little Al completely spun out at this point. Yeah, you can picture that. You know, I mean, jacking him up and telling him that that's what has taken place. So they're sitting out there waiting on the limo to show up to pick him up, right? Take you to the White House. This is a big deal. The limo never shows. They have to call a taxi. So think about this. This is Reagan, yeah. 80s, right? Mm-hmm. So it's all these garbage checker taxi cabs that the floors are rotted out in. I mean, right. bad cars. So he ends up he ends up pulling out, or the cab gets there, picks him up. They all pile in there. And uh, the taxi driver said, where to? And he said, the White House. He's like, sure, buddy, where to? <laughs> like, you know, this guy's an idiot. <laughs> so anyhow, he show, they show up at the White House, and they're, on, they're at the back gate. Well, the next thing you know, Al tell, Al's always putting Bobby up to everything, as, as Bobby would say. Right. He goes, get out there and find out where we're supposed to be going. So he, he, okay, so Bobby gets out, walks up, Secret Service guy on the gate. He says, hey, we're supposed to be here for the dinner. Where? And he goes, guy immediately knew who I was. You know? <laughs> naturally. <laughs> naturally, you know, it's like, immediately knew who He's I was. He's always wanted to meet me. <laughs> you know, he always wanted to meet, you know. And uh, so he, he's talking to him, and he says, you're on the wrong side of the building. You get the property, you got to go to the other side. He's like, okay, get back in the car. Now they're in the limo line in the checker cab. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all these beautiful limousines all shined up. They're in line. They pull up underneath, you know, the 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 uh, where you pull in and they're dropping everybody off, and they're getting out of the car. And the Secret Service guys are looking at these guys like, "What are they doing here? Like, clearly they don't belong here." There's a checker cab dropping them off at the door. So beautiful. Great stuff, and there's plenty more to come along. We're going to take a quick break here, and when we come back for this very special tribute to Bobby Unser, we'll have some more golden stories. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans, and yet there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates, young voters who are angry, The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow The Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. 
Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This segment of The Skinny is brought to you by our good friends at General Tire. For over 100 years, General Tire has provided tires for your lifestyle, your adventure, your anywhere. From the aggressive mud-terrain Grabber X3 to the all-terrain performance of the Grabber ATX to the strong and durable all-purpose terrain Grabber APT, General Tires balance excellent on-road performance with off-road capabilities designed for all-weather conditions. Remember, with General Tire, anywhere is possible. For more information or to find your local dealer, head over to GeneralTire.com. Once again, welcome back to The Skinny, a very special tribute to Bobby Unser. We appreciate all the memories he gave us all along the way and a very rich life that lasted for 87 years. Initially born in Colorado Springs and at the very young age of one, moved to Albuquerque, of course, lived there ever since, and that's where everybody is familiar with his hometown being, is in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Uh, went to school for a long time, but uh, did not make it to the end. He bailed out and, and quit a little bit early. I think by then Bobby had taught them all they were going to learn. <laughs> he he think, did his best. I think that's. I think that that's great. A, I'm pretty sure that's exactly what is said here, but Carl. Can, can you imagine? I think it's exactly what Rick Mears said. He said, "You know, Bobby taught me pretty much everything I owe. I know. Just ask him." Yeah. <laughs> can you imagine being the poor old school marm in those days that had Bobby answer for a student? I mean, I can't. You can't imagine. I think he lived by his own rules from day one. Yeah, I can't imagine him as an unruly young kid, uh, much less a teenager. Right, you know, he had to be a handful. Yeah, and he obviously he had a natural amount of intelligence, so I'm sure that there were things he did take on board pretty easily, and he might have got frustrated with school. His brain was spinning on fire all the time. Absolute the ideas wild. were just oh, one yeah. after another. Oh yeah, and and I mean. Wild ideas, yeah, yeah, <laughs> and not not afraid to uh, not afraid to climb in a plane. We'll talk about that in a little bit first, but let's go back and uh, listen to some gold here about him quitting school. I just quit school. I mean, the only thing I did was English and auto mechanics and the wrestling team. So no reason to keep doing that. The girls always did my English for me. So. Yeah. 
yeah. some girl did it. You know, I mean, I didn't do anything in school. My auto mechanics teacher, I mean, I knew so much more about the cars than he did. He'd give me 35 cents to go down and go to the movie during his time that he has me in the auto mechanics class. Get lost. <laughs> yeah, get lost, you know. Well, just walking a little ways down to the first theater, you know. So yeah. Go, go and watch a movie, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Well, well, folks well, wouldn't give me the 35 cents to duck school, but the teacher would, you know. So, sounds to me they were forcing you out, yeah. so we'll go with that. Yeah, forcing <laughs> me out. Well, you know what would happen, Rico, that would embarrass me so bad? Go to school Monday morning. <clears throat> My English was a real pretty English teacher. I could remember that. And, and she'd make me stand up in front of the class, and she'd read the newspaper articles on Bobby just winning the races that weekend. And that used to embarrass me so bad, I just said, the heck with it. I'm not going to stay in this. This institution's not for me. That's great. I mean, just absolutely great stuff. So, so, and, and I got, to, this is one of my favorite stories, okay, that, that he has shared. And him buying an airplane with the money from his winnings at Pike, Pike's Peak. So... Carl hit it. You got it. The way that this whole thing goes down here. I, I have one Pike's Peak one year. I got to tell you about this real quick. And, and it was a good payday year. In other words, really made some money. And it was my own car. So as soon as I got, went home and got my bills paid, very few times did I ever charge anything that I couldn't pay for. But with a race car, I, I just couldn't afford all that at one time. So I got the magneto and the wheels from Halibrand and got all that stuff from somebody. Now I got to pay it. Well, it was a good pay year at Pike's Peak, and I won it. And so I went to work and uh, got home and, and paid my bills, bought an airplane. <laughs> 3300 bucks. That's all the money I had left. Paid 3300 bucks for an airplane because I had to go to California every weekend. And, okay. And that driving, so that's why you became the pilot. Well, yeah, yeah. And awesome. I didn't have a license, so, but I bought the airplane. Oh. And, and, I, and I really, 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 I don't know how I could afford it because that was all my money that was left. But I'd go to California. Aggie would give me 150 bucks, sometimes a couple of hundred bucks for being there. And... And who had a, had a, in the business? Parnelli Jones. He had, a, he had a flying club. His chief mechanic, Johnny Polson, ran the, ran the flying deal. Of course, not when they're racing back here in the summer. Yep. But Polson took the liking to me. One day I'm going out there in my airplane. I land there at Compton. And Polson says, now, give me the key to that airplane. On my airplane, I'd pour the oil in the top, and I'd try to fly it while it was running out the bottom, you know, and get someplace. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was worn out, you know. And Polson got tired of me doing this. And, and so he just said, leave the plane here and get your plane home. It was Texas International or something before Southwest. Yep. So I got that home. I thought, wow, he's going to try to stop them oil leaks for sure. Well, the engine was worn out and junk, you know. So he took the whole thing out. The crankshaft was cracked. The case was cracked. I mean, everything was junk. And that Polson fixed that whole thing up for me, and he knew I didn't have any money. And so he didn't charge me any money. 
He saved your life. <laughs> oh, I tell you what. And I'm flying that thing at night half the time, too. I mean, talked about being in, in no license, you know. I didn't know about weather. I, I couldn't fly bad weather. And if I run into clouds somewhere, I just land on a little dirt road somewhere, wait till it blows over and crank it up and go again. But somehow or another, I always got to the racetrack that always on a what, Saturday night, probably. Yeah, right. And I had to be home. And remember, it was taking me 18 hours to drive out there. And, and it was all open range. That means the Indian didn't have any fences. And I got to go through all that country with the sheep and the cows on the road. And I mean, and if you hit one, you got to pay for it. And you got to do it on the spot. Well, I don't have that much money. I can't do that. It was know? cheaper to buy an airplane than yeah. hit a cow pa- and pay for it. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And so I what mean, was it to fly? How much? How far to uh, fly time to get there? Well, I could make. I had to make one stop, Prescott, Arizona. So, yep. so it would take me seven hours. In other words, I could fly it in seven hours, 18 hours to drive. So yeah. That's a pretty easy choice. Oh, that was... That's even and, worth risking your yeah. life, apparently. And and, oil, mean, like. all, all the racing, all the hundreds of miles an hour on a track was not the most dangerous thing you've done. It's flying an airplane that, that was barely <laughs> oh, an airplane. We had some trying times. Yeah, one the, time, one, now my, you know, I got married here and there, you know. And, <laughs> and, and so I make a little money here and there, you know. I, the endorsement business started being fairly good and, and long story short I, I one day i go over to the airport and the guy that owns the airport mr cutter big company right mr cutter and my dad were really good friends he knew that my dad didn't have a lot of money because some of the airport was on my father's property and they don't ever talk about it they just do it that's just the way it was and so i go over to the airport one day to get my little thing and go someplace and Mr. Cutter is standing there and, and he says Bobby give me the keys to that he hated Cessna's because he was a Beechcraft dealer yep, see? Sure. and a big yep. one yep. and so he says give me the key to that airplane of yours out there and sit under a tree out there get a little shade you know and so I don't know why he wants that that's strange but I mean Mr. Cutter's a big man you know so I give him the key to my plane and he, he gives me a key to another plane he says this is your airplane that one is mine now and i says and and he's given me a bonanza this is too high on the pecking order this doesn't make sense i have no money in other words god i have no way to pay for that yep right and so i told mr cutter i says mr cutter i have i have no money i says people might think i'm rich but i'm telling you i'm plenty poor i don't have any money but he says and, and he was probably right. I'm going to get myself killed if I keep flying in that airplane because he knows I don't have a license. He knows I shouldn't be up in the sky. <laughs> he knows all these things. And so oh, that's I said, good. okay. I says, well, he said, don't worry about it. I got somebody who's going to check you out right now. <laughs> so he puts his, one of his pilots says, go show Bobby how to fly this airplane. <laughs> Well, now I got a bonanza. Now I can make California without stopping at Prescott. In other words, Albuquerque straight to Compton, California, with no stops in between. Now I'm really big shot. How know? quick can you get there then? Oh, I think I think that one was taking me about 
Probably five hours. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's like setting a world record, right? Oh, Compared to what you were I mean, dealing Albuquerque with. Albuquerque to, to basically L.A., wow, that was a good deal. Yeah. I mean, yeah. L.A.'s always got bad. Remember in those days, you couldn't see anywhere. Yeah, You'd the smog. start going down yeah. into the valley, and it smells so bad, you thought, thinking that you're going to die before you get there. <laughs> oh, my God. I the mean, well, fumes of carbon dioxide. You're like, get me oh, in a I race mean, car where I'm you, safe. You can't yeah. see. You cannot see. Yeah. If an airport's five miles down the road, I don't see it till I get to Two miles. You can't see out there. Yeah. It is that way all the time. So here I am becoming an IFR pilot because I still can't see where I'm going, you know. And so I'd fly that thing. Of course, it would just never get shut off. Just fly, fly, fly. Racetrack and racetrack. Racetrack back home. <laughs> A common thread there that you will hear throughout this, either from him or from any one of his colleagues along the way, is, I have no money. I'm broke. I have no money. And Robin Miller would just wear him out. Like, has, is there anybody in the room that has ever received a meal, as much as a cheeseburger or a donut, from Uncle Bobby? And, uh, and it was because he was so tight with his money. <laughs> well, you know, you look at the money back then. He talks about J.C. Agajanian paying him $150 deal money right, to right. get him from Albuquerque all the way to L.A. Right, an 18-hour drive. Well, That's the, what I was amazed about. The other really crazy thing is he was driving sprint cars in the days before roll cages, and that was going to be absolutely the safest thing he did the whole time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That was a lot better than flying in an airplane. And I love at the open range, I forgot about yeah. that. If you hit one of their animals, you had to stop and pay for it on the yeah. spot. Never heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could obviously could get very expensive. And, and I remember... Uh, I, I believe it was you telling the story. It might have been Robin Miller telling the story. But with that first that first airplane, they would pour the oil in it. And you know, when the plane sits, it sits on a level, right. of course. He said, and we'd have to start the engine up and take off as quickly as possible so we could get it up to level so that it would, the oil wouldn't run out of the rear seal. It's pouring out of the rear <laughs> seal of it. So he pours it in there, and he's like off. Yeah. You know, he like, had a whole succession. He kept kind of working into better and better planes as he went. Uh, he always had a lifelong love of, of uh, aviation, but, I mean, he probably flew more miles by looking at the highways than almost anybody you could name. I mean, he knew that that's Route 66. That'll yep. take me all the way there. If he was going north out of Texas, he'd get I-35 or something. I mean, he flew a lot of places by highway alone in the days before he was a, a qualified pilot. So with all this talk about Tim flying, next up is a story about the airplane being stolen. Rico, I got one stolen down in Mexico. <clears throat> Excuse me, I have a house down there. Yeah. And still do now. Yeah. And, and I, I just had been out in California, and I had a, a stole plane, you know, short takeoff and landing plane. Yep. Because I'd kind of burned out on the, the, the better planes. Yep. Flying too much. Yep. And, and so I f- go out to California, I get a new engine put in it, New tires on it, new brakes, new annual done to it, all fixed up nice. Flew it from there to Albuquerque, just loaded it up with all my stuff, headed to Mexico. And when I got down to Mexico, and I remember, I've got a $65,000 bill that I haven't paid yet, okay? In other words, I just left California. I have an open account with a guy anyway. He's a real close friend. And I, and I go to Mexico, and my plane's gone. The drunkard stole it. <laughs> and I hadn't even checked the oil the first time on that brand new engine. Oh, my God. I mean, 
Yeah. I mean, I get down there and I says, they stole my plane? Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I got, the, I got one of the head guys from Volkswagen of America and his wife down there with me. It's my guest, right? And no plane. And I got no plane. No plane. And I got two oh. cats. Yeah. I don't have a wife then. <clears throat> I got two cats and those two people with me and no airplane to take them home. You know yep. I mean? Can't make it up. No. Can't make it up. No. You can't make it I up. I think they it finally figured out it was the drug cartel or somebody had stolen it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. Especially so something So they got to keep could, it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So it was their plane then. That's yeah. what ended up happening. Blame Bobby Unser. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible stuff. And, uh, of course, all along the way, this was certainly a common thread as well with a number of racers. And certainly back in the day, you could get away with this. But it was, uh, it was not uncommon to, to fib about your age from time to time. And uh, Bobby would be the first one to tell you, I lied about it my entire life. I'd lied about my age all my life. Every ditch in Albuquerque, I'm going to show you. I did the motor. I lied about my age. I did the Mexican road race when I was 17 years old the first year. And on, the, on my illegal driver's license that I had to get, AAA license, it says I'm 28. Well, that was a big lie, you know. I, mean, I never usually didn't lie that much, you know. You really stretched her out that time. Really uh, stretched that out. How old do you tell people you are right now? Are you 55? No, I'm not that old. <laughs> There's a lot happening these days, but I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This segment of The Skinny is brought to you by Dream Giveaway. 
Dream Giveaway has been giving away high-end American muscle cars to raise money for charity since 2007. Worked with Brad Paisley, Burt Reynolds, Big Daddy Don Garlitz, and Leah Pruitt, just to name a few. Dream Giveaway is known for giving away classic and new muscle and paying the federal taxes so the winners don't have to. For $25, you can jump in the game, and part of that goes to charity. You'll have a chance at winning some of the coolest cars on the planet. Check it out at dreamgiveaway.com. And once again, welcome back to The Skinny here with a Bobby Unser special as we just lost Uncle Bobby here a day ago. Spending some time listening to some of his great stories. Bones has joined us here on the set as well. And Bones, let's go back and talk about when Parnelli, I believe, talked to Granatelli and actually got him his first ride out here at the 500. Parnelli had actually lined up a ride for Bobby to take his uh, driver's test in. Uh, they got to the speedway. Harlan Fengler, who was the chief steward, didn't think Bobby had accomplished enough outside of uh, USAC to warrant uh, a driver's test. And so Bobby had a ride lined up via Parnelli. And he'll tell the story. Uh, at, at 10 o'clock at night, the day before he's supposed to take his test, they're in Gasoline Alley, and uh, Fengler loved Parnelli. you got to think of this. This is 1963. Parnelli hasn't won the race yet, but he still had a lot of clout. And uh, Bobby said that uh, Parnelli was jabbing his finger into Harlan Fangler's chest, telling him, you will give Bobby this test tomorrow. So Bobby took the test in uh, John Chalik's, I think it was the American Plastics Special. Uh, But according to Bobby, Chalik wouldn't spend any money. He was was a cheap so-and-so. They were out of tires. (laughs) The tires you have now for practice, he's passed his test. The tires you have for practice are all you're going to get. Problem is, they're not running fast enough to to make the show. They know that. So Parnelli walks down to Andy Granatelli and says, well, he's got Bobby with him. He says, you've got to put this guy in your car. This is Bobby Unser. Granatelli doesn't even know who he is at that point. And, of course, Granatelli, being slightly more cocky than Bobby Unser, said, what makes you think you're good enough to drive this car? And Bobby, you know, despite the fact that we know him as a guy who always had supreme confidence, really wasn't sure at that point. He said, I don't know, you know, but if you put me in, I'll, I'll try to do it. And sure enough, uh, Granatelli put him in the car. Instantly, he started clicking off fast laps. The Novi's weren't very reliable, but they were fast. And Bobby said that within that hour, that had changed his life. You know, now everybody at the Speedway knew how good he was because he was as fast as anybody. And he was a rookie. Uh, the race didn't go so well, but like he said, within that hour, everybody at the track knew he was good. By the end of the week, everybody in the country knew he was good because he was in all the headlines somewhere near the top of the speed charts every day. Um, but, you know, you look at, you know, Parnelli and Bobby were lifelong friends, and, and they met at Pikes Peak the first time. And if it hadn't been for Parnelli's confidence in him, you know, you never know. And It's the only time I can think of where Bobby probably had a little bit of doubt because after that day or after that week, let's say, obviously there was none. You know, he was always a supreme believer in what he could do and, and given the right equipment. And speaking of supreme believer, Davy Ray, you know, Davy. Sure. So he tells Davy Ray the story. He says, he goes, Oh yeah. He goes, you know, I used to go shopping. He goes, and uh, he goes, I would walk around the grocery store with the Turkey in the basket. True story. Bo- Bones is laughing. <laughs> he knows the story. He goes, he goes, I'd walk around the store with it, and he goes, I'd find the most attractive girl and say, you know, I'd speak to her and, you know, 
you know, get a conversation going on and say, yeah, I won't really want to buy this turkey, but I don't have an oven. Do you have an oven? Yeah. And that would be it. Yeah. It was, it was on. He's why I, I, I'm staying in a hotel. I'm yeah. here in Indy. I really like turkey, but I have no way to cook it. But here. of course, can it was, we go to your house and cook it? It was set up by him saying, hi, ma'am, I'm Bobby Unser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Defending champion of the 500. <laughs> yeah. So with more from the words of Uncle Bobby, here's some, uh, some great stories on his great friend, Parnelli Jones. I didn't meet Parnelli until Pikes Peak. Now, he had seen me run some sprint cars because he was already, what, the golden-haired boy in the whole United States of America in racing. He, he was already young, a legend. And, and all I could do is look goo-goo-eyed at the guy, you know, and... And uh, but but I didn't have a chance to meet him, and yet he's Agajanian's number one hit man, if you want to call it that, or his driver. As soon as we saw each other, we liked each other. In other words, we became friends so fast it was just unbelievable, and and we were together every day because I didn't have to worry about Parnelli. He's not running. I'm running race cars. He's running stock cars. I already know he's probably the best driver in the whole friggin' world, but Pike speaks my cup of tea, you know? And so I can show him and teach him everything I know at Pike Speak, which I've never done for anybody else except my own family. And, and so we were together every day doing our practice in, in a passenger car, you know, and just... And I'd, I'd just show him all my little secrets and all my little shortcuts. And through all of this, we became better friends and better friends and better friends. And just unbelievable. And then one day, just casually, he's talking to me and he says, now he'd already been coming back here. You could see the bombs are about ready to go off for Parnelli Jones, see? Agajanian. I mean, there's two really big deals, you know. And, and so he says, you ought to come back and, and come to Indianapolis. And I says, no, you know, I wasn't too sure I wanted to do that. I, I, I didn't think I was good enough to come to Indianapolis. And, and I totally felt that way. You know, you don't have to beg Bobby Unser because if it was a freaking racetrack somewhere, I'd go to it. If there was any kind of a race car, I wanted to run it. But this place was too big for me. I mean, I wasn't, my head wasn't ready I don't think I was ready with my driving skills. But Parnelli thought I was. Now, isn't that weird? In other words, here's a guy that just, just wins everything that he ever runs. And, and he thinks that Bobby Unser ought to come back here. I just dropped the subject. I really didn't want to talk about it anymore. It wasn't part of what I wanted to do. I, I needed to go run a lot of sprint car races. Man, I, got, I, can, I can drive somewhere every, every week. I can, I'm busy, you know, right. midget races, yep. a lot of stuff to do. And I enjoyed that. And, and, and I did pretty good at it. But then I get home, and then the phone rings again. Parnelli's on the phone. He said, all right, I got your car to drive. Take your driver's test in. <laughs> I said, holy mackerel, this is getting too serious. This kid is not true. This is Pardelli called Bobby. Come on, get to Indianapolis. Yeah. I can't believe it. I think this is just not my cup of tea. I'm not, 
I'm not ready to do this. Parnelli's got it figured out I'm going to come to Indianapolis. And, and I really am afraid. So now... And what, what year, how old were you then? I uh, was probably... Probably around 22, 21, something like that. So if right. Parnelli Jones hadn't pushed you to come to Indianapolis, how, and you were about 22 I would have when never he did, come. you never would have? I would have never come. Unbelievable story, right? Wild. How things fall into place for certain people. Exactly what Bones was talking about. That's wild, man. And then uh, after he drives Granatelli's car and they get it going good, uh, Parnelli pulls him aside and says, "Now you got to go back and tell Granatelli you want ten thousand dollars or whatever the ten thousand, fifteen thousand. No it was, kidding. I think it was ten thousand to drive. You know that's going to be your salary over and above what you make for a percentage." And Bobby says, "I've not even ever run this race. I can't ask it." <laughs> Parnelli says, "You get down there and you ask him for ten thousand dollars." So he goes down there, oh, and be- wow. between him chickening out a little bit and Granatelli driving a hard bargain. Uh, Bobby ends up with 1500 which he said was more money than I ever was guaranteed anywhere. You know, right. that, I was going to be rich with that 1500 Right. But the worst part was now he knew he had to go and face Parnelli. You know, <laughs> did you get that 10 grand? Because he didn't ask for it now. Right. He's <laughs> undercarding everybody exactly. out there, right? Did you get that ten grand? Nope. Got 1500 Why, you dumb, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's how much Parnelli believed in him. And, you know, Parnelli had some self-belief too, so. And then, of course, the uh, the two continued their great relationship, and and the Unter name, as big as we talk about at the 500, was even larger at Pikes Peak. We heard him talking about helping his family out there. He won Pikes Peak, if I'm not mistaken, ten times, and I believe nine of those set a record going up the mountain. I don't know if you guys have heard this story already, but there was uh, they were doing a little pre-run uh, a couple of days before the actual event, and I believe it was David Pearson and Roger McCluskey in the car with Bobby and Parnelli. Uh, Pearson, I believe, is sitting in the front seat. Parnelli's driving. Bobby is sitting right behind Parnelli. And um, if it was McCluskey, he was in the, in the right rear passenger seat. There was one place on that winding mountain road where there was a fence post sticking out of the ground, and they knew that if you drove over the edge right there, there was an, uh, like an escape road sort of that, that led down the hill. <laughs> But these other people didn't know that. Bobby and Parnelli knew that. And it was above the tree line. Oh, yeah. Wait, yeah there's so, nothing. I mean, you're just looking at blue sky. Yeah. And if you go off, you're done. Oh, no. You're done. So they go roaring oh, up. No. They're approaching that point, And Bobby, sure enough, reaches over Parnelli and puts his hand over his eye. But he puts it over so you know, yeah, Parnelli right. can With see. With his fingers split right. just enough, he can right. see. Yeah, but if you're the other guys in the car, you don't know that. And by the time. And they're hauling ass. Oh, yeah. And they're screaming. And Parnelli drove right over the edge, but right onto that road. I had heard Parnelli tell the story because it it was Unser that did it to him the first time. He said, we're going up the road, sliding around. He said, and all of a sudden, off the side, we're going. And he said, I had no clue. Can you imagine those two other guys? I mean, two brave guys, Roger McCluskey and David Pierce. They thought it was all over. Game over. (laughs) We're gone. Great stuff. So with more on Pikes Peak, let's listen once again to Bobby. And I want to talk about Pikes Peak because... Anybody that drive that course, I was watching some stuff on it after we were talking. I, of course, you know, know about the modern day Pikes Peak and quite like what it no. was then. So, uh, they, they can wreck anything, just give it to some people. Yeah, Rico, and they'll give get it to wrecked. Some Don't worry about it. <laughs> My uncle had won Pikes Peak, Uncle Louie had won it nine times. Oh, wow. Now, Uncle Joe, the three of them, there was my dad, Jerry. Then Uncle Joe and Uncle Louie, they were all three at one time 
for the Coleman, C-O-L-E-M-A-N, truck in Denver, Colorado. And they, what they make it basically snow plows, four-wheel or front-wheel drives. And so they, were, they built an Indy car and just to come to Indianapolis. And they were going to have three of them. And the three boys were going to come back. And Uncle Joe got killed on the highway one day testing the car. They didn't have much pavement in those days. It's hard to imagine today because mm-hmm. we don't have much dirt anymore. It's all paved. Right. But in those days, <laughs> exactly. the other way around. It went the other way. So right. Uncle Joe was out on, on, the, on a paved road just south of Denver, and the car jumped off for some reason and got himself killed. But it's crazy looking at that picture of you going up or watching that video of you going up Pikes Peak and you are completely crossed up coming through one of the turns and got tires on that are that that are smaller than you'd have on your car today. Those were recap tires. Even. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, and I mean, it was just, it, it, you know, you uh Unfortunately, there's a lot. There's there's a few that are spoiled in this business these days, and uh, that uh, that like to bitch and complain about you know everything to do about this and that. And you know what? You have zero idea who paved the way for this, and you need a you need to take a little refresher course on folks like you, folks like AJ, you know, Big Al, uh, and and you know Steve uh, Rutherford. I mean, you know, the list goes on and on and on of the folks that went through i mean it was uh you guys were like test pilots it wasn't like hey get in this this thing is super safe it's get in it and i hope we see you after the race is over <laughs> that's right you know i i had the pleasure of covering that that race one year and was the pit reporter up on top of the mountain and you know we watch we've watched those guys i believe it was on espn speed channel for a while uh and you watch them go up the mountain and whenever i did it was partially paved of course back then all dirt completely different and the magical mark there nobody could break the 10 minute mark at the right. time um but it was it was it was half dirt but i remember standing on top of that mountain and you had to be up there really early in the morning i think they closed the road around five four or five in the morning so we had to be up there very early on and and i was up there all day long till i don't know till two or three o'clock in the afternoon and it was like having a vicious hangover because, as we just mentioned before, the tree line. Right. So that the, there was not enough oxygen for the trees to grow above 10,000 feet. So we're up there at 14,000 feet. Well, there's even less oxygen. So your brain <laughs> is, if you're not you know, accustomed to it, right. your brain is just dying for some oxygen. And it, it was just like having a wicked, wicked headache uh, all day long or hangover. And You've then, had a hangover before, <laughs> yeah. Not like that all day long. Usually, you know, the hair of the dog will fix it. But, <laughs> but, um, but whenever you think about that for a human being, what's that car like, right? Right. I mean, it's all carbureted stuff back in the day. So, exactly. and I remember taking the rental car up there the first time I was there, and I had my foot on the floorboard, and it was barely going, Killing you know, it. fifteen twenty miles an hour. So, and and the the craft that it took these guys back in the day to run all in the dirt. You talked. You were pointing to the to the skinny tires, talking about the small tires. Recaps the the carburation back in the day. I mean that equipment that was so archaic as we look at it now, and then to see what they did with it is nothing short of spectacular. Well, and being a self taught engineer, you know, no joke. I mean, he really was a sharp For guy. Sure. He was good with carburation. He was good with all that stuff. He actually had a deal with the recapper where they put 
walnut shells in with the recapping. So it wasn't just a rubber tire. I mean, it was rubber and walnut shells. Um, Bobby just, you know, he had, he had things figured out and he could drive the damn thing. And you look at, it's basically a, 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 a dirt champ car or a sprint car for that era uh, with no roll cage. And, you know, again, to think that the safest part of that whole run, you'd go off the track and hit a tree. That's not too good without a cage. But if you got higher above that tree line, if you went off, I mean, you were done, you know, and strapped into a sprint car, no cage, not a thought about anything except getting to that mountain quicker than anybody had ever done it before. I mean, that that took a special, special character. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write. Hopefully, having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, Deputy Opinion Editor. And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast called Impromptu. Follow Impromptu now, wherever you listen. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This segment of The Skinny is brought to you by Rhino Classifieds. Tired of all those ads and random stuff that shows up when you're looking to buy or sell your car parts? Rhino Classifieds was created just for you. Welcome to a streamlined buying and selling app created by racers for racers and race fans. Modified cars, classic cars, race cars, that special big block you need. The trailer to move your baby around the country in. We got you at rhino.co. We have some special clips of Robin Miller talking uh, also about our great friend, Uncle Bobby. But Uncle Bobby kind of misjudged the interstate and the electric guy wires <laughs> and, and the hangar. And, you know, Mad, Mad, Mad World where the guy goes under the hangar. Yeah. I think Unser did that. Bart bounced storming. once and came back out of the... <laughs> Parnelli said one day, Parnelli said, you know, he said racing was pretty dangerous back then he says but so was daily life with the answers <laughs> i mean just trying to i heard they, they drove bored. the street cars like a race car anytime you got in a car with them it was wide open you it couldn't was... you couldn't 
in the mid '60s, Hertz and Avis were the only two rental car companies in the United States. In North America, neither one of the answers were allowed to rent a car because they destroyed so many cars. We go to Mossport once. Mossport's got this blind right hander, so. Bobby Unser talks Jerry Grant into renting a car for him in Jerry Grant's name. God rest his soul. Jerry Grant was a wonderful guy, and they were teammates. One and done. You learn your lesson So (laughs) they go to the racetrack, and Unser takes the keys to Jerry Grant's cars and throws throws them 100 yards away and jumps in his car and takes off. So Jerry Grant wants to, you know, he jumps in the car and takes off after Bobby and Al Unser. They go around the right-hander. Stop the car in the middle of the track sideways, and they both run over to the side. Jerry Grant comes over, the blind right-hander, pile drives, should have killed him. I mean, you know, they didn't think about that. Broke the, broke the car in half, steam pouring out of the radiators, and they're laying on the ground laughing, and Grant's like, you, what, I can't. So not only is that bad enough, then they decide one of the cars was still salvageable, so they get another rented car, and they told Jerry, listen, We'll we'll pay for it. Don't worry about that. But let's take this down. We'll tell them the other one was stolen. But we can get this one back. It's the wheels are still moving. You know, we get the front end bowed in. So Mossport's up on a hill, a mountain, and so they Grant gets in the car, and the Unsers are pushing him down this hill, and they're going thirty, forty, fifty, and he finally leaves the road, goes down an embankment. And thankfully, there's a bunch of trees that stopped him. Yeah, thankfully. They almost killed him twice in an hour. And Grant said, I, I, I had nobody to blame but myself. And I'm like, no, how could you be that stupid? You can't let the answer. Because he said he looked back in the rearview mirror, and they're laughing as they're going faster and faster. And he's trying to keep this thing on the road. And they actually received a letter from Hertz at, at oh, one yeah. point. Oh, yeah. For like 17 cars that the family had destroyed or, or wrecked and a bill that was in excess of $200,000. I mean, they lived every minute, you know, <laughs> from the time they woke up to the time they went to bed. It was almost like when you hear these stories, it's like, let's, let's take another chance. We haven't taken a bad chance in five minutes. I think, you know what, what, I mean? I think what Miller said about Parnelli was the best, though. We survived the answers. Yeah. He said he said forget all the rest of it. He goes, We survived daily life right. with them. I mean I think most race drivers kind of live close to the edge anyway, and especially back in that era. But I don't think anybody doesn't put Bobby at the top of that list. Oh. You know, he was just the, the trend setter or pace setter when it came to taking chances. You know, uh, another guy that we lost here whose personality was just as big. He was a little more cantankerous, if you will. He could, he could get a bit edgy was, was Bill Simpson. And uh, we have some stories here with Uncle Bobby talking about our late friend Bill Simpson as well. I, I know sometimes we get mad at him and we want, we want to kill him. No <laughs> doubt about that. That's but part he, of the love for him. I know it, but he's done more to save lives in all of motor racing than any single person that I can think of. Yeah, I mean, huge. before him, there was nothing. Nothing. In other words, my brother died right here because of burns. Yeah, yeah, Today, uh, if, if he'd have on a, a, the stuff that Simpson invented. Pioneered. Yep. Pioneered. Yep. Pioneered. That's yep. a better word. Yep. Jerry, it's, it wouldn't even be a hiccup this right now if yep. that's what would happen. I mean, yep. I mean... Today, they they just wouldn't even pay that much attention to it. Okay, he'd have a few scars from the burns yeah. and everything, but he hit him Hell, back. I don't even know if you have that anymore, you know, as, as good as they've got it. Now, one of the things that I said in that, I said Bill was one of those people 
that had a beautiful mind. That dude could think, I mean, he was always innovating in racing and thinking about how he could do it better or make it safer. And, uh, I mean, so I, and I was telling you before the show, Bones, and I know I've mentioned it before, you know, he would come down on off days or, you know, when things weren't really, you know, a lot wasn't going on at the, at the suites, mm -hmm. he would come down, come down with the dog. Yeah. Just bring the dog in the suite. It's okay, Bill. Yeah. You know, <laughs> of course. He Which, wasn't asking. <laughs> he was not asking, clearly. It didn't care if you didn't like it, but uh, he knew we loved it. But anyhow, he'd come down, and he would just start telling stories. And, I mean, it was, you know, it was much like Bobby on a different, different angle. But, you know, Bill telling the story about, uh, about he goes, I said, and I always ask this question, how the hell did you get started? I mean, where did that start? I mean, me starting the eyewear company, big head, couldn't find glasses to fit. Okay, here we are, you right. know, uh, 17 years later, right? Yeah. <clears throat> and, you know, so, of course, I, I'm always interested to hear that story or how that went, right? Bill, Bill starts explaining how he created the first deacceleration parachute. Mm -hmm. And his first customer was Speedy Bill. Mm -hmm. And he said... Speedy called him up and ordered three of them, and Bill said, okay. He said, that that works for me. He goes, uh, how am I going to get paid? Bill was 17. Mm -hmm. Speedy said, well, I guess send me an invoice, and I'll send you a check. He goes, okay. Yeah. And, <laughs> so that's uh, how this works. And so with that being said, this next, uh, this next clip is about uh, Speedy Bill meeting with the answers about the museum and the legacy and things like that, so... So, so I needed to go to work and meet this man, and I, and I needed to talk to him because a museum is going to come up in Albuquerque. It's the one my brother has. So you got to learn. Now, here's a smart man. Here's a really smart businessman. So I flew all the way to Lincoln, Nebraska, met that man, and asked him in detail how we're going to do a, a, a museum. And the biggest problem is, what are you going to do with it when you die? I know I'm not trying to start a morbid conversation here, mm -hmm. but, but it's real. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to make it forever. Right. So my interest is, what are you going to do when you die? What are you going to do with all of this? Got a lot of money, okay? But his museum now, that's what I'm interested in. Museum, just like he says, millions of dollars, these little cars... I can't believe what. How about the engines he's got? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, he's got a fortune there. Remember the Hot Wheels car that had the German helmet on it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He has that car, the car. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. mean, so it, I yeah. mean, so I flew all the way to Lincoln just to meet, not to meet Speedy Bill, but he knows who I am. He'll he'll be honest with me. Mm -hmm. I already know that, and so I have a conversation with him. What are you going to do now? You die, what are you going to do? What, what, the kids are all going to fight over your money. I hated to do it, but I got right. Into, right. Into, the, into the hard talk, yep. you know. Yep. And that man had an answer for the whole friggin' thing. I mean, I couldn't believe it. I mean, and he'd spit them answers out faster than I could ask the questions. And what it is, it's the Smithsonian. He teamed up with the Smithsonian in Washington. Mm -hmm. So in other words... 
hey, there's nobody, no relatives, no, no high promised, none of that stuff will overcome the Smithsonian. Mm-hmm. So the day he died, that's who became the, the technical boss. Yep. Like it or not, they are the boss. Yep. Now, the, the kids Which run is it. unbelievably smart. Oh, I mean, so now I have the answer. You know, I yep. mean, I, did, I would have never thought of that. Because because you were think, you guys were thinking about doing it, right? Well, yeah, we were already it. already into thinking about yeah. it, but but you're not there and you don't know what to do. Do you? You know, Al's got what? He's got he's got two daughters. He starts out with and a son. Well, the two daughters die. Okay, so now he's got a son left, and so what's he going to do with his? I mean, he's not a poor man anymore. So <sighs> what's he going to do? Same thing. You got to learn this stuff. And you don't learn it by talking to the poorest people. Go talk to the the ones that really made a couple the ones of that bucks. Still have it, right? <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. And that's how I that's how I started yep. with Speedy Bill. Yeah. Of course, I ended up with Carson. Is one of his kids, and great he and Robbie hooked up into racing together, and I'd help them do Pikes Peak cars and stuff like that. But it, it was ended up being a real fun deal, and Robbie still works there today. You said he shows up, right, or does he Shows work? up. Well, no, I didn't see it. I, <laughs> I, I misused the one word. <laughs> well, that brings us to the final story that we're going to hear here with our special tribute to Uncle Bobby on the skinny. Sit back and enjoy. Thank you for being a friend and, uh, and uh, your support with our products and Anything we can ever do for you, we're, we're here. Well, you got the good stuff because you got your head. That's where the good stuff comes from, you know. That's the way it is. It's like we talked about, Simpson. It's all the same way. If there isn't a leader, it doesn't happen. Yeah. So I got the leader. I found him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the commercial again. I forgot he said that. And that's pretty wild. A one in a million guy. Yeah. There was nobody like Bobby Unser. Yeah, really great sitting here, you know, reflecting back uh, on on just some of the stuff that we were able to to recall here and try to capture in a few moments. But the the overall message to the fans that never had the opportunity to meet him or spend some time with him is just how personable he was and how likable he was. He was one of those guys that just had something special. You don't know what it is. You don't know why you don't have it. You can't put your finger on it, but some people just have it, and he was one of those guys. Well, as a writer, I mean, if you tried to write somebody like Bobby Unser in a fiction story, you wouldn't believe it. You know, to be that driven, that smart, that funny, that talented, um, he was just one in a million. And, And like you said, that ability to connect with people, um, we've only had one come along like him, you know, and two Bobby answers would probably be one too many, but, <laughs> but I'm awful glad that the one did come along and he's been a, a blessing for the sport, uh, and just good for the whole industry. I think. And he meant it. He meant every bit mm-hmm. of it. He, he loved it. And like I said earlier in the show where he talked about, we got to get these guys back to the speedway. Yeah. You know, and we got to get him back there to support Roger and the program and build this thing back better. And, I mean, hearing somebody like that, I mean, he didn't know it anything. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But he still wanted to pay it something, and I thought that was pretty amazing. He gave it all. He yep. really did. 
Thank you very much for putting all of this together and giving us an opportunity to share some stories like this with our with our fans. A special thanks, of course, to all of our partners for keeping this show going as well. The stories here for today are over, but rest assured, the Uncle Bobby stories will never, ever end. We thank Uncle Bobby for all the exciting moments he gave us on the racetrack. We also thank Uncle Bobby for all the laughs along the way. And finally, we thank Uncle Bobby for the memories. The Skinny with Rico and Ken is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History eBay Motors is here for the ride. With some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride-or-die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.